welcome to another inspirational teaching from the Gate Church. Well, good morning. As you've already heard, we're speaking today on a culture of prayer. So you're going to put your hands together and close your eyes. We're going to go a wee bit deeper than that. There was, there was a time when the disciples asked Jesus, said, Lord, teach us how to pray. And when, during the Sermon on the Mount, partway through it, Jesus said, this is how you should pray. And he then gave them what we now know as the Lord's Prayer. And sometimes we can say that prayer. We say the prayer through word for word. And there are some churches where saying the Lord's Prayer forms a part of uh, every service that they have. And that could be a good thing to do. But Jesus was teaching us more than a set of words to say. He was teaching us how to pray. Teaching us what prayer is all about. And I wanted us to get excited about prayer. Anybody else want to be excited about prayer? So let's see how we go. Now, uh, the verses which come up here, well, first of all, uh, let me give you a warning. I'm going to spend a lot more time on the first two verses than on the rest of it, just in case you start worrying, are we ever going to get out of here? (laughs) Everything that's got a beginning has got an end, including this sermon, so we can have hope. I may also lapse into King James language occasionally. You know, you do that when you say the Lord's Prayer. If you're at least if you're of a certain age, we may go into King James language. I've never yet been known to lapse into message language. <laughs> Some things will never happen. But anyway, let's go to Matthew 6, verse 9. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And let's just look at that. Just look at the first two words in there. And consider what we're doing when we pray. Who are we praying to? We're praying to God, the creator of the whole universe, the sustainer of absolutely everything within that universe, the one who has all power and authority. The one who is infinitely greater than any of us. And Jesus says, this is how you should pray. We approach him as father. It's a relationship. If you look at Jesus, if you look at the Gospels, you find that Jesus prayed, prayed, and prayed again. Jesus was in control in every situation in his life. And at many times, his life was under threat. And as we know, right at the end of his time on earth, he died on the cross. But he was always in control. He was always at peace because he prayed to his Father. Jesus came to earth for many reasons. The reason above all reasons was to die on the cross for our sins and to rise again so we could have eternal life. But he also came to show us how to live, to show us how we're meant to live, to show us what life as a child of God is meant to be like. And part of that is being in constant prayer to our Father. 
Now, I guess many of us have heard of Messy Church. Put your hand up if you've heard of Messy Church. Well, I want to talk about messed up church. Put your hand up if there are parts of your life, parts of you, which sometimes in life are messed up. And if you've not got your hand up, you're living under delusion. Put your hand up if you're not as messed up as you used to be. If you don't believe me, you can ask my wife. And if you're wondering, that, well, just me, if, he's, if he was even worse than he is now, why on earth did she marry him? Well, she loves a challenge, and she got one. But one of the things in life, there are times in life when things, there are times in life when you don't need to worry about your messed upness, and you just go through life, and the things in, which are wrong with you aren't a problem, and I love those times. But there are times when things happen which bring this messed upness to the surface. But the thing that keeps me going in those situations, the thing that keeps, keeps me secure, is that I know that my Father in heaven can handle my messed upness and that he can sort out my messed upness. That's what keeps me going. That's what gives me confidence. But we don't just have to worry about our own messed upness. You've got to deal with the messed upness of your wife. Not in my case. She's perfect. Or the messed upness of your husband. So all the women would agree with that one. Messed upness of your children. Messed upness of your parents. Gordon and Fiona have got to deal with the messed upness of every single one of us in this room. We should pray for them fervently because they need it. But look what it says there. You know what Jesus didn't say? He didn't say, this is how you should pray, my Father. He said, this is how you should pray, our Father. And you see, I can trust God to deal with my messed upness. doesn't mean I enjoy it at the time, but I know, I know deep down that I'm okay because God's got me in his hands. But that husband, that wife, that child, that parent, that friend, who are you, messed upness, you are now having to deal with. Remember that if they're in Christ, God is their father too. You see, we can deal with these situations. Also, we can approach these situations and think, I've got to sort them out. And, that, and long and short of it is, we know we can't. But it's not our job to sort them out. It is God who is sorting that mother, that daughter, that brother, that husband, that God who is sorting them out. And he involves us in the process, but God is the one who is doing the work. It is primarily his team. We look so often that we're doing things, we say, God, will you help me? That's the wrong view of things. The way things are meant to work is that God is doing stuff and he involves us in what he is doing. You see, when God met Moses in the burning bush, he said to him, Moses, I've heard the cry of the Israelites. I'm going to set them free from slavery. Then he said to Moses, right, now you go and speak to Pharaoh and go and speak to the Israelites. And Moses then gave us about a chapter and a half of excuses from Moses about why God had got it wrong and why there was no way this was going to work. You see, Moses was looking at it the wrong way as though he had to set them free. He didn't. God was the one who was going to set them free, but he was using Moses. See, Jesus said, I only do what I see my father 
do. He knew that he was involved in his father's work. And we, we, uh, we could sometimes think, about, uh, things we do in, uh, with Alpha and Pop-Up Church and other things, saying, Lord, we still want people in the city to get saved. God, will you help us to save these people? That's the wrong way of looking at it. It's God who wants to save people in this city. And he's involving us in that work. We need to have that right perspective on things. Then it says, our Father in heaven. What do you think of when you think of heaven? What do you think of it? It's a place you go when you die. It's far away. What did Jesus say? He said, repent and believe, for the kingdom of heaven is near. You see, what we do when we pray, one of the things we do when we pray is, we are calling the power of heaven into our lives. We are calling the power of heaven onto this earth. You see, you look at a situation, you, whether it's a personal situation, you look at it and through the eyes of what you can do, what others can help you to do, through your own strength and all your failings, or you can look at the state of the nation, and you can, you would, if we have any realism about it at all, we would get utterly despondent. And often we may get utterly despondent. But when we pray, when we pray, we bring the power of heaven on earth. That uh, several times in the Psalms it says, where does my help come from? It comes from? It comes from heaven. It comes from the throne room of heaven. When we pray, we are calling on the power of God to come down onto this earth. And then it says, hallowed be your name. I might actually prefer the message version for this. I don't like the word hallowed because no one really knows what it means. I don't know what the message says. I've looked it up. No doubt someone will take great delight in telling me at the end of this. But anyway, let me give you, tell you what it is. It means to be honored and respected. Now, it's been said that war is diplomacy by other means. Well, prayer is war by other means. Is God's name honored and respected in this land? No, and increasingly less so. At best, lip service is paid to it. And increasingly, God's word and God's ways are totally ignored and considered to be bigotry. But Jesus has told us to pray, may the name of God be honored and respected in this land. You see, when we see incidents of that, whether it's in, in the lives of individuals, or whether as it is increasingly so in the lives of government and the lives of all uh, power structures in this land, which is increasingly anti-God, we could get despondent, we could get depressed, or we could just, I'm going to heaven anyway, who cares? We should pray. May the name of the Lord be honored in this nation. And some might say, well, that's exclusive. Well, it is. There's only one God, so might as well worship the right one. But I want that to happen because I want this land to be blessed. Because when God's name is honored, that's when true prosperity will come into this nation. That's when true healing and blessing and peace will come into this nation for all people. So we should pray. Hallowed 
be your name. Let's go on to the next verse. And it says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Just consider those words. Your kingdom come on earth. You are a rebel, a revolutionary. Because we want this state to change. We want the state of this nation to change. That's what Jesus told us to pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. We have to pray for change. But the revolutionaries of this world, they do their stuff with guns and bombs. We're different. The Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10 verse 4, we do not fight with the weapons of this world. But the weapons we have, we use, have divine power to demolish strongholds. Who knows that there are strongholds in this nation which need destroying? And we do it through prayer. We do it through love, truth, and compassion. And we have examples of that, the things with our involvement in hope for justice. See, you see, in Isaiah 58, God says this, this is the fast that I desire, that you break the cords of injustice, that you set the oppressed free, and that you feed the hungry. And when you do this, then your light will shine, and then your healing will come. And we do that as a church with things like hope for justice, De, uh, seeking to overthrow uh, human trafficking, human slavery. We saw examples and heard about things uh, a short while ago from Gordon about compassion. And I read if we looked about every single one of us, about all the charities and things which we support financially or with practical help as individuals, we'd have an enormous long list. I think we'd go on forever. And I want to talk. And those things are good, and we should continue and increase in those things. I want to bring this to a much more personal level. Now, can I give you a trigger warning? Who knows what trigger warnings are? Hardly anyone. They're mostly in America. They all tend to come in this country, in universities. And so if you mention something, I'm going to talk about a topic that a poor little snowflake might melt if they're here. Who knows what snowflakes are? Oh. <laughs> now, Right, it's mostly people of this age. Actually, they can't object. Because either they're not snowflakes, which I don't think, I actually think you are, so in which case they wouldn't object, or if they do, they're just demonstrating that they're extremely easily offended and can't cope with reality, so, which they wouldn't want to do. But that's not true, is it? I mean, you are, you are solid, firm Christians, able to cope with the realities of life. But anyway, why do I want, why do I want to, uh, I don't give trigger warnings in my lectures. I, I show some scary equations occasionally, but that's as far as it goes. But I'm going to talk just briefly about money, sex, and power. Is that okay? Just briefly, just briefly, briefly. All right, first of all, about money. You see, in all the, all the, if you look at evil in the world, whether you're talking about evil on a, a small scale, 
i.e. just involving one or two, a few individuals, or if you're looking at it on a global scale, either uh, massive things which go wrong either within a nation or within the world as a whole, money, sex, and power are in there. At least one of them, usually all three. It's kind of the unholy trinity. But all these things were created by God for good. And with money, one of the things we need to do is to present a different kingdom. We are to show the world a different way of living. So let's look at these three things. Let's look, at, first of all, at money. You can get financial advice from all over the place. And to get good financial advice is a good thing. Whether it's advice about investments or it's advice about getting out of debt, Getting good financial advice is a good thing to do. So if you do that, good on you. But on the Bible, in here, there is one consistent sort of financial advice given from beginning to end. And it's summed up in one word, generosity. It says in here, if you want to be secure, the most important thing we can be is be generous towards God and generous towards others. That is the only guaranteed way of getting security in your own life. We need generosity. Now let's turn to sex. And I suspect you didn't expect to hear anything on sex in the Sermon on Prayer. But there's a first time for everything. We know God's clear teaching, Jesus' clear teaching. Sex is good, it's fruitful, produces life, it builds up a relationship, and it's fun, in one context only, between one man and one woman in marriage. In every and any other context, it is utterly destructive. So on the first hand, we need to make sure, and if you, if you look at the letters in the New Testament, there are frequent warnings about sexual immorality. We need to take this seriously, and we need to make sure, first of all, in our own lives, that we live according to God's standards, according to God's ways. But we need to do much more than that. I guess all of us have heard of the Me Too movement, it, which was in one sense, quite rightly, was reacting against the sexual exploitation of women, particularly by powerful men, or men in various positions of power. But one of the things that uh, that's done, in some cases, is it's tended to put men against women. It's tended to create division. That's not God's way. You see, it says right at the beginning in Genesis, God created us in his image. Male and female, he created us. As men and women, we are different, just in case you haven't noticed, in all sorts of ways. But we are meant to complement each other. We are meant to work together. Together, we display the glory of God. So let me give you some practical advice, and most of this is to the men, so the women can be very pleased about that bit. I'm going to say something to the women afterwards. I think I'll get away with it. First of all, to the men. If you're a husband, 
then we must honor and cherish our wives. Beyond loving God, which must come first in absolutely everything, our number one aim must be to see our wives become all that they can be in Christ. That has got to be one of our number one aims in life, to see the well-being and the flourishing of our wives. And then for the other 3.75 billion women in the world, and that's a frightening figure, isn't it? What are we to do? Well, if they're older than us, we're to treat them as mothers. If they're similar ages to us, we're to treat them as sisters. And if they're younger than us, we're to treat them as daughters. What does that mean in practice? It means that we honor, we respect, and we protect. And we do all that we can to see them flourish. And the one thing we must not ever, ever do is exploit or abuse in any way whatsoever. We are to present to the world a completely different kingdom. And for the women, the world puts an enormous amount of pressure on you particularly younger women. I read an article in the Telegraph about 10 days ago, I think it was, saying that the suicide rate amongst uh, schoolgirls, I think it was ages 13 to 18 and 19, something like that, had increased by 38%. There have been various other articles over the past year or so, there's an increasing number of them about mental health problems, particularly amongst young people. And one of the things which young women, or women in general, but particularly young women, experience is an enormous pressure from the world on you. It puts a wrong, about a very distorted view of beauty. It said in this article, one of the things is body image concerns and things like that. The world puts, tries to put on you a very cheap, distorted and shallow view of beauty. Let me tell you who you are in Christ. If you're in Jesus, if you believe in Jesus, then you are a beautiful daughter of God. And that's not a shallow beauty. It's a beauty that's on the inside, and it's a beauty that's on the outside. And this applies whether you're 20 or whether you're in your 70s or 80s, or whether you're 60. My wife was 60 about two months ago. I still think she looks absolutely wonderful. You see, God has a much richer view of beauty than anything the world comes up with. And you need to know who you are in Christ. Do not let the world impose its distorted image on you. Because you were created in the image of God, and through the Holy power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus is recreating, restoring that image within you. Know who you are in Christ and be who you are in Christ. And then uh, with power. You might say, well, I haven't got any power. We've all got some power. We've all got some authority. And however little or however much we have, we must use it first of all to serve God and then to serve others. And never, ever for self-seeking. Whether that's authority or power in your family or in some position at work or in the church, we use it to serve God and to serve others. We present a different kingdom. 
Right, let's go on. So we are going to speed up in the way, number of verses per minute. Now, let's go on to verse 11. Give us this day our daily bread. Some people some ask, well, if, uh, because it says elsewhere, or Jesus said elsewhere, God knows what you need before you ask. You think, well, why do you need to ask? Look, there are times when you know what your wife wants. There are many times when you haven't got a clue what she wants, but there are some times when you do actually know. There are times when you know what your children want, but you also need them to ask you. Because it's not just a matter of the thing. It's a matter of relationship. And you see, God, God wants us to know the absolute security we have in Him. That He's had all of our life in His hands, and He's got all of our future in His hands. And everything is catered for and provided for. That doesn't mean everything's going to be easy. Doesn't mean there's not going to be any suffering or any pain. But it does mean we can have utter security in God. And He wants us to know that security. Now, let's go on to verse 12. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Now, you can sometimes read this, oh, that means if I don't forgive them, I'm, God's not going to forgive me. I don't think that's what it's saying here. Now, it's absolutely true. If we are holding on to unforgiveness or to bitterness, we need to dump it. Unforgiveness in our lives, bitterness in our lives, poisons ourselves. And we need to get rid of it. And also, if you've got unforgiveness and bitterness in your life, you are an absolute menace to those around you. You're a real pain in the neck. Now, if that's too blunt for you, tough. You need to get a hold of the reality of it. But, I think I don't think that's an emphasis here. If you have a car engine and you don't put oil in it, it doesn't matter how well made that engine is, it will seize up. And it's like that with the kingdom. Without forgiveness, the church will seize up. Ask yourself this put your hand up if you're in the kingdom of God. How on earth did you get in? Because God forgave you. What's the point? How on earth have you managed to stay in the kingdom of God so long? Why didn't God chuck me out or chuck you out long ago? Forgiveness. How does a family work? It needs forgiveness. How does a church work? It needs forgiveness. We need to be constantly forgiving each other. If we're to make things to work. With a, if you or if you've embark on a large project like the pop-up church stuff we're doing next year. We need many things to make that work. There will be times when we need to, need to forgive one another. It stops things seizing up. And you want to know this? The devil hasn't got a clue what to do when we forgive each other. It utterly defeats all his schemes. He's just totally lost. So if you want to kick the devil in the teeth, go and forgive someone. Right, let's go on. We're almost getting to the end now. Lead us not in, into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Or as some versions say, from the evil one. We have got, each one of us has got two major problems in life. 
When you wake up in the morning, you see one of them. And that's not your wife or your husband. It's yourself when you look in the mirror. You see, we can have, there are two sorts of wrong views we have. One, we can think, oh, I'm so weak, I can't do anything, I'm useless. Wrong. The other is, I can do all things through Christ. Nothing at all will ever defeat me. You get like Peter and you fall flat on your face. Let me tell you the truth. The whole truth. Through Christ, I can do all things through Christ. But in my own strength, I can make an unholy mess of absolutely anything. And we need to hold both of those. We need the courage and the faith to believe the former and to act on it. And we need the humility and the realism to admit the latter. You see, I've told you this many times before, and I'll keep on telling you because it's the best bit of prayer advice I ever give, which is one of the things I often pray is God protect me from myself. Protect me from my own stupidity. See, there's many times in life and I think, oh, thank goodness, God, that you stopped me doing that, or you didn't let me do this, or you just restrained me from losing my temper here or there. The number of times, and I just think, thank you, God, that you saved me from myself. We need it. Not just on its own. We need that I can do all things through Christ as well, but we need to marry it with utter realism. Then it says, but deliver us from evil or from the evil one. The devil is out to get you. That's your cheerful thought for the day. And if you think otherwise, you're living in unreality. But we don't need to be scared of it. We need to be realistic. And we pray to God, deliver us from evil. Demonic power is real. The devil is real. He doesn't always appear with horns. He works in, Paul says, sometimes appears as an angel of light. He works sometimes in extremely mundane ways. But he is real, and we pray for protection. And then we go on to the last bit. Now, this last bit is not actually a verse in the Bible. If you look in your Bible, you'll see it as a footnote in most versions anyway. But the truth is throughout the Bible. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. Whatever situation we're facing, whatever the nation looks like, whether we're looking at our own personal situations, national situations, or whatever situation we might be looking at, we need to remind ourselves the kingdom belongs to Jesus. The power belongs to God. The glory belongs to God. Whatever situation, whatever person, whatever power structure, whatever else might be coming against you, it will come to an end. The kingdom of God will last forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. And there's only one prayer we can say. We're going to say the Lord's Prayer. I've put it up there, not because I think you don't know it, but because particularly when it comes to forgive us, 
Some will say sins, some will say temptations, some will say debts. So it's just to keep us all on the same pitch. Today, we're doing sin. And don't take that the wrong way. So, I'll just read a verse out or a line out, and you, you can just follow on. And if you don't know Jesus yet, I think it would be good if we all stand. If you don't know Jesus yet, if you want the kingdom of God to come into your life, if you want God to come into your life, then you say, that prayer, uh, you say this prayer with the rest of us. Because Jesus came to earth to come into our lives. Okay. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. This is the end of your teaching for this week. We hope you enjoyed it. 